It's not just time to get away. It's time to travel with Anita. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. I'm back out and about traveling, and during the last two years, I felt that I missed opportunities to go to my favorite places, explore new destinations and cities, and also, you know, just be out there having the kind of fun that I like to have when I travel. But one way that I have stayed connected to our beautiful country and so many wonderful destinations around the world is through photography. A good photograph can really take you to a place, to a space, to learn more about people, about cultures, and how others celebrate the special occasions in their lives. And we can learn a lot about other people and places just simply through photography. And I must say that I've always been an admirer of those photographers who can capture something special in a setting or in a moment. And you probably experience that as well, where you're taking pictures with someone and somehow you look at their picture and you're like, we were taking the same picture, but look at how yours looks. <laughs> they just have a way of capturing a story of a moment that's right there. Now, so during the last few years, you know, like I said, I've just kind of lived through the, the photographs. And I've asked some of my photography friends to tell me some of their secrets. So on today's show, my friend Eric Lindbergh is joining me, and he specializes in photographing and writing about adventure travel, domestic and world culture, wildlife, and even wild places. And he likes to, to photograph all kinds of things, road journeys and wilderness expeditions and American road trips. I mean, I would just say he likes to, he likes to be out there photographing everything. And he's also an award-winning photographer. So I want to share some of my conversations that I had with him. And I start my conversation by asking Eric, how did he get started? So Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. I've always been fascinated with your photography and it just always takes me there. I mean, you tell such great stories with your photography. So how exactly did you get started? I've always been interested in photography, even as a, a young boy. Um, my family got National Geographic magazine and Arizona Highways magazine. And I remember pouring over those beautifully uh, laid out magazines and photos, even as a young boy. So um, I didn't really pick up my first camera until I was in college when I, I bought a camera to take with me during a semester in Italy. So that was when I first started. Um, and I was at an art school. So I was surrounded by other people who really were able to see and observe and really pay closer attention to where they were. And I think that was my uh, introduction to the world through a lens. Well, you, you said you were taking these art classes. Did you also take photography classes? I took a photography class and it was black and white, uh, learning how to uh, develop and print film. So I actually, you know, started learning in, in monochrome instead of in color, which is uh, pretty much exclusively what I shoot now. Well, did you grow up around photographers? I know I grew up with a, with a dad who, you know, loved taking pictures and videos and that type of thing. He never became a professional photographer, but certainly for vacations and holidays, that camera was always out. So <laughs> did you also mm -hmm. grow up around photographers? Mm -hmm. 
Um, my father, like you, my uh, father would take a camera with us every summer when my family would take camping trips all around the American West. And he documented our, um, our travels. He, he was more of a snap, snapshot kind of guy, but he did document a, a time that's long past the American West back in the, the 50s and 60s. I also had a grandfather who was a professional photographer in Los Angeles in the late 20s and the 30s. So perhaps he passed it on through his DNA. Well, yeah, maybe it is in your DNA, Eric, because your photography, as I mentioned, is just so beautiful. I mean, you really know how to capture things. So how, how did you get so good with taking photos? You know, Anita, I've always had uh, kind of a sensitive, aware approach to the world. Um, and I'm, I've always been attracted to, to beauty and to light and to interesting things. Perhaps it was from having traveled as a child so much. Um, I don't have the ability to paint or to sculpt or to do other traditional art forms, but I am able to photograph. I feel like I have a deeper sense of, of seeing and observing. And so it came natural to me that that artistic side of you know the side of me that is an artist found his outlet in photography. It's something I could do. And um, even though I don't have the, the ability to paint, I just was drawn to photography and it seemed like a good fit for me. I, I felt very comfortable behind the camera, even when I was stumbling along in the beginning. As photographers, do you all say that you have a, that you have a style? I mean, do you have a style of photography? Is, is, is that a thing? Uh, yes, it is a thing. And, you know, it, it's funny, Anita, um, in the past years, I've had friends and colleagues say, Eric, I can identify your photos, you know, in a group with other people because you have that style that sets you apart. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I think to put it into words, I have a sensitivity and I have a, a rapport when I'm, I'm shooting uh, images of people. I like to develop a relationship with them. So when I'm shooting with them, they're relaxed. Um, I'm, I'm moved by things that are uh, the whole, run the whole gamut of emotions, not just happiness and joy, but also sadness and grief and, and melancholy and, and more somber things. So I, I like, I'm attracted to every sort of uh, emotion of the human condition. Um, I do like to get close to, to my, my subjects and um, I think there's a lot of times when I like to put layers into my photos. So when people are looking at them, they're attracted to something in the foreground as well as the background. I try not to have a lot of empty space in my photos where there's nothing happening. So my goal is to fill my frame with interest. So your eye bounces around the frame looking at a number of things and it keeps getting pulled deeper and deeper into the photo. Now, I don't always succeed at that, but perhaps that's one aspect of my style that I could identify. Well, it sounds like definitely taking, taking photos of people is really a, a, your style. But what about landscapes or other objects or things like that? Do you also capture those things with your photos? Yes, I do. Um, I love people photography, but I find it probably the most challenging because by nature, I'm a bit of an introvert. And so for me to go out and establish a relationship, a rapport with a stranger, get them relaxed and then photograph them has always been a challenge for me. I, I've learned how to do it, but it's much harder for me than finding a, a static landscape that uh, really speaks to me. So 
Uh, to answer your question, I, I love people photography, but I also like landscapes. I like to capture uh, culture. Um, I like the unusual, the eccentric, sometimes the bizarre. I like to find humor when I photograph, whether it be in signs or in certain aspects of culture. So, um, oh, and I should also say I love uh, wildlife photography. Uh, I just came back from three weeks in the Okavango Delta in Botswana at three different uh, game reserves, and it was exclusively animal photography, and I was just in my element. Oh, I'm so jealous. That is a trip that I definitely would love to take. <laughs> I would love to do that. So you can see he's top of my list. And when we come back, I will continue my conversation with Eric with lots of tips and things that we can learn from Eric. Back in a moment here on Travel with Anita and Friends. We made these memories for ourselves Where our eyes are never closing Hearts are never broken Time's forever frozen still Travel exposes us to different cultures and people But how do we go about being respectful as tourists? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now I asked my friend Eric Lindberg, who is a photographer, and he has learned ways to gather the trust and offer respect to people, places, and cultures when taking photographs. So let's jump back into my conversation with him while we talk about some of his favorite places and how he handles the whole thing with cultures and people. But now you mentioned, you know, culture. So I want to talk a little bit about that because there is so much... Um, attention and focus nowadays that is being put on making sure that we're respectful of traditions and culture and sacred places. How do you go about uh, working with within that? Yes, an excellent question. And I would say that I prioritize um, respect for people and for sacred places above everything else in my photography. I will not take photos if they feel invasive or disrespectful to people. Um, I, I'm very sensitive to that and I will not, I don't poke my camera in front of people's faces and start snapping away with some, without some sort of connection, whether it's eye contact or a nod of the head or a smile or something to let me know that it's okay. Very uh, uh, tuned into uh, native cultures, to indigenous people, and in this day and age of Instagram and social media, where I think a lot of that respect has gone out the window, I cling to my belief that we need to travel through this world with respect for other people and other cultures before we ever swing that camera to our eye. Uh, now, with that said, there are times when I have to overcome my um, introvert, my shyness to get out there in the middle of things and, and start shooting. But I follow my intuition and I watch body language and I watch people's faces as I wade into a crowd or into a ritual. Um, I just take my signs, my signals from what's happening around me so I don't be intrusive or rude in my photography. And uh, 
that happens a lot these days. And I found in the last 15 or so years that it's harder and harder to photograph people in these situations because I think they're inundated with photographers who don't have, who don't bring that respect and that honoring of people to their, you know, to a place when they begin to photograph it. That is also what it is about you that captures your eye or that motivates and inspires you to capture a particular subject, seeing exactly if this is the perfect time to take that photo. Uh, yes, I do. Um, I think back to the, the famous uh, black and white photographer, Henry Cartier-Bresson from the uh, 30s and 40s and his phrase of capturing, quote, the decisive moment. There is always a decisive moment, I think, especially with people and with action where that, that moment is the time to take the picture. And oftentimes I'm a second or two seconds or five seconds too late for that. But I really look and anticipate when action is about to happen or I think something is going to take place. And I've got my finger on the shutter and my camera close to my eye. So I'm ready to you know, capture something that, that I think may unfold. Sometimes it doesn't happen and other times it does. But I, I think that just being tuned into a setting and dropping into it, becoming completely aware of it um, is, is advantageous. I know that when I have my camera in hand and I'm in a place or in a situation or a festival or whatever, I feel so in my groove. I feel so, you know, in my, my I don't want to sound cliche, but definitely I'm, I'm in my in that space where everything drops away and I'm, it's just me and where I'm at with my camera. And it's almost like a meditation, Anita, where everything else drops away and I just feel tuned in to that moment where I am. Oh, wow. Gave me a little goosebumps there on my, on my arms there. Sometimes I get so caught up in the emotion or the experience of where I, I am that my focus becomes pretty laser sharp. And I'm, I'm almost like in a dance with the person I'm in with or the animal or the place that I have to stop and back out a little bit to see the bigger picture. And as you mentioned, to maybe get the whole story. Um, and I, I have to sometimes catch my breath because I'm so caught up in the moment that I'm just like, it really is like a dance for me or sort of a, uh, this back and forth connection. I want to make sure that I don't miss other parts of that story that may be unfolding off on my left elbow or to the right of me. But now it sounds as though you've really been inspired uh, by other photographers or uh, photos that you've seen or experiences that you, you've had. Can you give some names of some photographers who have inspired you, you know, through your career? Certainly. Uh, there are so many of them, and I keep discovering new ones and being influenced or impressed by their work. Um, in the beginning, I think for wildlife, Franz Lanting and Joel Sator and Art Wolf were all just uh, blew my mind. Uh, it's the kind of photos where you look at it and say, how did they get that? Mm -hmm. um, they're all, you know, masters of what they do. Um, an early person who influenced me a lot was Galen Rowell. He did a lot of adventure photography and uh, landscapes uh, before he unfortunately and untimely passed away. Um, I've loved some of the classic National Geographic film photographers, Sam Abel, 
William Allard, uh, James Stanfield, um, and then uh, some of the other cultural photographers that I really like are uh, Sebastio Salgado. He's a Brazilian photographer, I believe, and he's just a master at shooting the human condition. Um, Amy Vitale, Jody Cobb, Michael Yamashita, Steve McCurry, Chris Johns, uh, Annie Griffiths, they're all National Geographic photographers. And uh, last, I think I would also mention uh, James Natchway. He's a war and humanitarian photographer. And his work, all in black and white, pretty much, is, is difficult to look at. But they really reach deep down inside me and um, show me a part of the world that I've not experienced, but that, that moved me as sort of the, the dark side of the human condition. Hmm. Well, that's, that's quite an impressive list that you have there. But now, Eric, do you have a do you have a favorite city or country where you have taken photographs and you want to go back and take more, or just something about it inspire you that maybe just kind of hangs around, not only in your photos but maybe in your heart as well? Um, I found great things to photograph in every place I've been, and I've traveled quite a bit over the last. Uh, a uh, few decades, but um, I think to answer your question, uh, honestly, I'd have to say India. Uh, I've been there, oh, on several trips, probably spent a total of uh, 10 or 11 months there, and I keep coming back to it for the color, for the, um, the culture, for the spiritual aspect of it. Um, India excites me and turns me on my you know, upside down every time I go. I would have to say that I probably never felt further from America than when I've been in India. And I love that challenge of being in a place where I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what's happening in front of me. Uh, the language is a complete mystery. And I love just feeling lost in a place and trying to find my way through and interpret it through my own eyes. So yes, I, I'd say India is the place that I'll keep going back to as, as often as I can. Oh, I love India too. I always say that India really touches on all of the senses. And don't go anywhere because when we come back, I ask Eric to share tips for taking photographs. You're on Travel with Anita and Friends. back on the road again and you should be too. It's a great time to book a stay with one of Marriott's properties. There's a long list to choose from and options that will meet your style and your budget. You'll find all the amenities that you like. Quick and easy check-in, convenient locations, comfy beds, waiting for you to relax after a day of touring. You've heard me talk about Allianz Travel Insurance, my travel buddy, taking all of the worry out of my trips so I can have all of the fun. Now Marriott and Allianz Travel Insurance are working together to provide benefits for Marriott's guests to cover things like trip cancellation because of covered illnesses or injuries up to a maximum amount, travel delays and trip interruptions, rebooking flights, and prepaid and non-refundable trip expenses like our sightseeing tours and entertainment. 
And now it's easier than ever to have Allianz Travel Insurance take all of the worry from your getaway too. One click and you're booked and insured. Do it all at Marriott.com. Photographers inspire us. They allow us to travel around the world from our living room. A good photographer can capture a story in one photograph. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And that photographer for me is Eric Lindbergh, a good friend of mine and a great photographer. And I want to share my conversation I had with him where he's telling us about the equipment that he uses and just how we can become better photographers too. Um, I've used Canon um, equipment for my whole career, but uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter to me so much uh, what type of camera one uses as who's behind the lens. Um, I just moved into a mirrorless camera system and I try to travel light. I carry two bodies and generally two lenses, um, a super wide angle and a medium telephoto. And then if I'm doing animal photography or for a longer trip, I may uh, carry a uh, telephoto lens as well. And um, once in a while I, I bring a tripod for night photography, um, but I do find them cumbersome. Yeah. Uh, but when you need them, uh, they're indispensable. You've got to have a tripod for certain things. Um, That's true. What would you say is something that you won't leave home without? In terms of my photography, probably my wide angle lens. I really like to get close up to my subjects. Um, and as the, the famous war photographer, Robert Kappa said, if your photos aren't good enough, you're not close enough. Uh, now, with that said, he uh, stepped on a landmine in French into China back in the 50s, and he died, and he was maybe a little too close. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I think photographically, having that wide-angle lens is one of my favorite lenses. I bring plenty of uh, backup batteries and memory cards with me, and I have them on me when I'm out. I don't want to run out when I'm, you know, in the middle of something good or I might leave at dawn and think I'm going to be back at nine and then I'm out half the day and I don't want to run out of out of uh, batteries or or memory. Now, I, I want to move our conversation a little bit more for tips for the listeners, because, you know, everyone loves to capture the scenes when they are traveling and have those fun memories. So what tips do you have for like that vacation photographer? I can think of three things that are pretty basic. But uh, if you follow these three things, I guarantee your photography will improve. I, I, in fact, I repeat these mantras myself when I go out. Above all, I'd say, first off, get out early in the morning when that light is soft and warm. Um, if you can set your alarm and get up before sunrise, get out onto the street, get out into the landscape. There won't be anyone there. And it's a beautiful time to be up when the world is just waking up. I love being out, even though I'm, I'm not an early morning person, I've just about never regretted getting up early when, when the, the world is sort of coming to life and the light's really good. Right. And again, in late afternoon, when the sun isn't overhead, the sun begins to get softer or the light is softer and warmer and things just look better. Uh, if you want good photos, I'd really say set that alarm, get up early stay out late, um, miss meals if you have to. The food can wait, but the light can't. 
And I, I think if when we look at photos, especially of landscapes and, and different scenes, my guess would be that 80% of those are taken early in the morning, you know, before mid-morning or from mid-afternoon into dusk. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be one. I think a second one, don't just snap your shot and walk away. Um, I take a little, I take time with my subject. I try different angles. I might crouch down and shoot low. I might try a higher vantage point. I, I circle my subject. Um, I just look for different angles. And I find that if I slow down and take a few minutes, that first shot won't be my best one. It might be the third or fourth or 10th, but I'll be much happier that I spent time there really observing and watching and seeing where the best shot is. And the third one, I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, if photos aren't good enough, you aren't close enough. Don't be afraid to move into a scene and fill your frame with what is attracting you. Uh, be aware of what's, you know, in the edges of your frame that maybe don't add to the photo, eliminate those. And if you don't have a zoom uh, lens, Use your feet as your zoom, walk into a, a shot, or maybe you're too close and you need to back up a little bit to include that funny sign in the corner or that interesting cobblestone street that's at your feet. Those are fantastic. I, I, I was making notes right there. <laughs> so I know that this is right too. But now what advice do you have for aspiring photographers who would like to do what you do? One I, and this is something I still do, is look at other photographers' work. Go to the library and get some books and study the photographers that you like. Um, study the ones you don't like. See what they did and what it is about their photos that attract you. Ask yourself what draws you to their work. See if you can bring your uh, photos into the same light and life as some of the masters did. And uh, you can go bookstores and, and find them online. They're even visiting other photographers' websites and studying them. But if you have a local camera club, join it and see what other people are shooting. It's the friendly, competitive way to up your own game and to see what other people are doing and really get ideas from them and, and get inspired. Um, I, I think also in this day and age, having a website doesn't hurt. Yeah. where you can show your uh, photos to the world and then market yourself, you know, spread, spread your uh, website around to people. But what does photography mean to you? That's more of a kind of philosophical question maybe, but when you think of photography, I mean, what, what, what does it mean to, to you as well as to us, you know, to humanity? Uh, what does photography mean to me? It is, as I alluded to earlier, uh, it's my art form. Um, since I don't have skills uh, of painting and I'm, I'm uh, not a musician, although I love music, photography has allowed me to express myself, uh, my sensitivities, my, my feelings, my observations to the world. I, I do feel like I see things differently than a lot of people and I see things deeper or at least I think I do, than, uh, than some other people. And photography allows me to go out and express what I feel, gain satisfaction through capturing a moment of beauty or a moment of emotion or a place or a thing that will never be seen in that same way again. Unlike uh, movies and video, photography is a 
a freezing of a moment that we can't really see with our eye because it's only a fleeting moment. Now, now landscape is a little bit different. If you're watching a, a great landscape, you know, at dawn, you've got a few minutes to watch it, but especially when photographing culture and people and wildlife, that instant lasts for a moment and then it's forever gone. And I, I resonate with that. I, I find so much beauty in the world and, and so much to see and observe. And I have this personal need to stop, to slow down, to observe and capture that. And for me, it's not only the making of an image, but it's also being in a place and looking and listening and feeling into it more deeply. I find as a photographer, I see, see the world more deeply. And I, for me, that's a gift. I am so, uh, I feel blessed that I have the resources and the time to travel and see the world and photograph it. And um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Before I let you go, how can people see your photography and see your photos? Uh, you have a website, can they go there? And also do you sell some of your photos uh, to the general public? Uh, yes, they can go to my website, which is my name ericlindberg.com, L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G. And I do sell photos. Uh, they're not available on my website, but if people go there and see photos they like, uh, you can contact me and um, I'll be happy to uh, let you know about pricing and availability and we can discuss uh, what to do. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Eric. Check out his website and he'll take you around the world in photographs. Stay where you are because when we come back, I'll take you to Macon, Georgia, where young chefs are bringing culinary delights to the forefront of Macon's culinary scene. I talk with Chef Ryan Smith. We'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends. I said Georgia. as sweet and clear yeah as moonlight through the pine. when you think of local cuisines there are some places that come to mind as food destinations welcome back to travel with anita and friends i took a trip down to macon georgia for the recent food and wine event and what a great experience to crawl the downtown restaurants where young chefs are featuring their specialties. And the food and wine event was a great one to catch up with what's going on in Macon, Georgia. So I sat down with Chef Ryan Smith, who's the owner of Lazy Susan's Tapas Bar. And we talked about his restaurant, the food and wine event, and how everything got started. So take a listen. So first tell me a little bit about yourself and your restaurant, Lazy Susan. Then I want to hear all about the food and wine festival. Okay, great. So uh, we opened here uh, two years ago this past January. Uh, Lazy Susan Tapas Bar is trying to provide a global style influence tapas uh, style dining. So that's going to be, you know, bar food from around the world uh, alongside of um, a global wine list. Uh, most restaurants you'll see like three or four wines by the glass, but, you know, not much after that. And then it's a ton of bottle selections and you have to invest 60 to $70 to figure out if you might like something. Uh, here at Lazy Susan, all of our wine is available by the glass as well as the bottles so people can try a whole bunch of different stuff that they might already not have access to. Um, and also our wine list is 
uh, you know, South Africa and, you know, uh, Spain and Italy and France and then Portugal and then American wine. So we're offering a little bit more than the regular domestic crowd. We also do specialize in cocktails. So it's kind of a place where you can come and spend a couple hours, have a few dishes, have a bottle of wine, spend time with friends. We're not trying to turn you out. We're trying to let people come in here and really relax and enjoy time with friends. Well, do you do some wine pairings as well? Because if you have all those wines from around the rural, yes, ma'am. You know, you, we might need a little help with how to pair them. Absolutely, we um, we offer uh, wine courses. We've got this lazy sum program that we do, where it's kind of a subscription box, where some of our members that do like wine and want to buy wine in bulk. Uh, we pick a box for them based on their taste, and it's completely custom to every member. Uh, we do that on a monthly basis, and then we do uh, wine tastings every month, and we do uh, wine pairing dinners every month. Sounds fun. I'd glad to come back for those. Yeah, we'd love to have you. <laughs> but now you've started the Food and Wine Festival here in Macon. This okay. is the first of this. So take us all the way back. I mean, how did this concept come up, and and who all is involved with it with you? Sure. So uh, we started working on this concept about six months ago. Myself, Weston Stroud, who's a community leader, Demarcus Beckham, who works in a lot of charities downtown, as well as um, Teddy Gandy, who is the farm and produce manager for Lloyd's Farm Stand here in Macon. Um, we're talking about that you know, there's a lot of beer fest, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on, but there's not really a one food fest or two a wine fest. And most major food cities in the world have both of those things. And so, you know, we don't have restaurant week here. We don't really have any of that. But Macon has grown up so much in the last five, ten years. I mean, I've been here for 12 years this year. And it's just a completely different city, and I think it's not really getting its due as far as focus on food and wine and dining experience downtown. And so we just wanted to create an event where you could come and experience how the, t the growth of downtown um, wrapped around local produce and a great wine sponsor. And so we got to work on that. We uh, put together a grant, uh, Weston and I did, for the Community Central, Found Central Georgia Community Foundation, and uh, they gave us our full grant funding. And so alongside of that, we're setting this up as an annual event. Our next event will be, um, we're gonna do like these kind of food challenge events every quarter, uh, and then we'll have a big blowout food and wine fest this time next year as well. Now there were uh, seven restaurants that participated this year. Yes ma'am. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the restaurants. Sure. And I know everyone kind of had uh, their own kind of take on, on right. things, but everyone shared the same protein, yes, if I'm understand correctly. Yes, ma'am. So uh, the challenge was that every restaurant was going to be using the same produce list. We had a list of uh, seasonal available, seasonally available produce and then two protein options to pick from, both rabbit and pork belly. Uh, us here at Lazy Susan and Oliver's were the only people to uh, take on the challenge of the rabbit, and everybody else did the pork belly. But it was um, all using local farmers and using local produce provided by Lois Farm Stand. And I thought it would be an interesting way to kind of show the versatility of all the restaurants downtown given they were giving the option of the same thing to start with and so they really had a uh, a way an avenue to highlight their cuisine and their take and so i think it really worked out well um in the way that we um we kind of gave them an opportunity to showcase their talent and uh you know i think we had we have such a vast array like i was saying restaurants downtown we had um, a ramen spot kenjo Oliver's, which is a French bistro, and then uh, Olk Bongi, which is kind of like a brew pub. Uh, La Bella Vita, which is an Italian restaurant. 
and then Vibes, which is kind of like a Jamaican restaurant, and Brookhaven, which does comfort food. I mean, we ha- and Lazy Susan Tapas, where we do Portuguese Spanish food. So lots of different types of restaurants doing uh, with the same proteins. And I think it was a really cool look at like the versatility of downtown and the versatility of local produce. Absolutely. I mean, doing the crawl last night, I mean, you could see that you had an opportunity to try, you know, a lot of different styles of food. Right. And uh, then just to be out and about, I mean, it was a really good feel also out at night, just kind of crawling from restaurant to restaurant. Yes, ma'am. So now for people who want to come next year to some of the other uh, sure. events that you have throughout the year, is there a website where we can keep up with you? Yes, ma'am. It's going to be uh, makingfnw.com, so foodnecessarywine.com, makingfnw.com. Uh, you can check our events tab. Um, something I forgot to mention is that, you know, alongside of our food crawl, every restaurant this week has a food and wine pairing dinner. And so it's just kind of a way to keep highlighting that there's um, – multiple different dining options downtown and also giving them an opportunity to plot those events for Valentine's Day week on a group calendar because right now it's kind of you go to each person's website and you hope you can find something going on well now we've got all that listed in one place but yes ma'am Yes, ma'am. And uh, next year, uh, we're going to do uh, the same thing. We're going to have a food crawl to kick off. Then we'll have events all week. And then the end of the week, we're going to have a expo where we do um, a ballroom at Hotel 45 that just opened right down, right downtown. And we'll do kind of like a chopped style uh, event competition. We'll have uh, multiple sommeliers here and different uh, you know, liquor reps and wine reps and you know, really highlight what's going on in Georgia as well as what's going on in Macon. That sounds like a lot of fun. Definitely. Now, how are the farmers markets involved? So, uh, Lloyd's Farm Stand is our produce sponsor, and um, they're a major part of our group. They're sitting on my advisory board, and uh, we're trying to help them get into a brick and mortar. They've been in a farm stand for the last four years, and they're really getting to a place where they can expand. We're trying to help them expand their business and kind of reach the downtown market because I think it's a growth market, and it's something that we necessarily need. I mean, we've got, you know, grocery stores around us, but we don't have access to great local produce provided by local farmers and so I think that's a really great way to tie in what's happening in downtown cuisine wise and experience wise but then on top of that um, Lloyd's is uh, got their location they're getting set up and ready to go Uh, next year they'll be our sponsor again and we'll continue to kind of push their message like hey we're trying to provide they're trying to provide food in neighborhoods that don't have access to great produce and they, they take EBT, they take government aid, and they, you know, also donate a lot of that food as a charity to people that are dealing with food insecurity. And so I just think that's a really great message and is super necessary. And if we can do anything to help them grow the uh, commerce side of the business, we'd love to be involved in that. That sounds fantastic. Sounds like really a good mission. Now, give me that website one more time as we wrap up here. And uh, thank you so much, Ryan, for for taking the time to speak with me during this busy time of getting everything planned. Well, thank you so much for coming down here and talking with me. I'm looking forward to seeing you all again. Uh, Check us out, Macon Food and Wine Festival at MaconFNW.com. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. It's just going to be at MaconFNW. Check it out while you're in Macon. Also, check around some of the things to do. Thanks for listening with me today. I'll be back in two weeks with more travel inspiration here on Travel with Anita and Friends. Bye-bye.
Marriott and Allianz Travel Insurance have partnered to make sure guests booking their stay at one of Marriott's hotels has a seamless way to say yes to travel insurance. One click and you're booked and you're insured. How easy is that? And you can do it all right on the Marriott Bonvoy app. Marriott wants to ensure that guests are taken care of while they're exploring the world. And Allianz Global Assistance Plans were created for Marriott to cover all guests staying in the room, family or friends. Options may provide reimbursement for prepaid, non-refundable expenses like airfare, expenses during covered travel delays, and medical emergencies. Allianz Global Assistance is there 24-7 with multilingual experts ready to help. Allianz Travel Insurance is my travel buddy. And now when you book your stay at Marriott, they're your travel buddy too. To book your Marriott stay, visit Marriott.com.